Hey everyone, this is Caleb, and I am so grateful that you have decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me on the Learner's Corner podcast. And today I am honored to be joined by Shannon T.L. Kearns, who has recently authored the brand new book called In the Margins, A Transgender Man's Journey with Scripture, and so looking forward to that conversation later with him in this episode. Now, if this happens to be your first time listening to the Learner's Corner podcast, I do want to tell you about a couple of things that inform pretty much everything that we do here on the podcast. The first one is this, is that we truly believe that we can learn from anyone and from everyone, regardless of whether or not we agree with them. And that may be you today, to where you listen to some of the things that Shannon says and you go, I'm not sure about that. And that is okay, because we can still learn from people that we disagree with as well. And we can still engage in those conversations. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited to bring this episode to you today. And I guess I was so excited that I actually gave the reason that um, that I give uh, second, I gave that first today. And so uh, another thing that we really want to do here is create a safe place to have difficult conversations, to have the types of conversations to where we may not agree on everything, or maybe you're afraid to have these types of conversations. And, and we get into a little bit of that dynamic as well with Shannon's story. And he and he talks about that, of growing up and just feeling like there wasn't a place for his questions and even some of the things that he was going through as well. We also believe that we can learn from anything and from everything, regardless of whether or not that's something serious or something trivial. And the last thing that informs so much of what we do here on the Learner's Corner is we want to become the person that was there for us, the mentor that we had, or maybe the mentor that we wish we had. And a lot of that requires doing doing the work of becoming that person. We're going to get into that a little bit later in my conversation with Shannon as well. Now, if you have been listening to the podcast for a while, or whether or not this is your first episode as well, I would love to hear from you and maybe some of the things that you are interested in learning about or some of the people that you are interested in learning from on the podcast. And the best way to reach out to me is learnersquarterpodcast at gmail.com. And you can just let me know some of the things that you're learning about as well. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Shannon, and then we will jump into this conversation. So, Shannon is an ordained priest, a playwright, a theologian, and the co-founder of QueerTheology.com, which has reached more than a million people all over the world through videos, articles, and online courses and community. Now, we are going to get into a little bit of his story throughout this, but we cover so much of it uh, throughout the book as well, and I am just really looking forward to bringing this conversation to you. So without any further wait, here is my conversation with Shannon Kearns. Well, Shannon, it is so good to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. And just as we're getting started, you know, you have uh, released this book called In the Margins, 
which ties into a, a lot of your story as well in inter intermixed with um with just a lot of things that you've learned in scripture as well. And so just as we're getting started, and I know that this could be like a really long and literally could take up all of, all of the podcasts. Um, but I would just love to hear maybe, maybe a little bit about your story and kind of what got you interested in, in wanting to write this in book form as well. Sure. Um, so the, the super short version of my story is that I, grew up in rural Pennsylvania as a fundamentalist evangelical, and then grew up to become the first openly transgender man ordained to the old Catholic priesthood. Um, and as you can imagine, <laughs> there's a lot of journey and a lot oh, of yeah. story oh, yes. uh, in the midst of that. Uh, and we can dive into to whichever pieces of that feel interesting. Um, and this book is really kind of the culmination of things that I've been working on for over a decade um, which is weaving personal narrative with retellings of Bible stories uh, as, a, as a way to kind of invite readers into a broader understanding of their own story and how it might intersect with scripture and, and what it looks like and feels like to be able to bring your whole self to the text, especially for those of us who um, are on the margins and have often been told to not bring our whole selves to the text. Mm. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about the, what you've learned about how to talk about your personal narrative while intersecting with scripture as well, because that could be a little bit of a fine balance too, just in all of that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that's such an important question up front because uh, a lot of folks hear about what I'm doing and they're like, oh, well, you're just trying to make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. Um, that's one argument. Or the second argument is like, it doesn't we don't, we shouldn't read the Bible from our own context, right? That there is a pure, quote unquote, pure context to read scripture from, um, which is just not true, right? Yeah. We're all reading from our own context. It's just that historically, you know, the white, cisgender, heterosexual male context has been taken as the quote unquote pure context, right? That, that That's the one where we're just reading theology and every other theology is, you know, some kind of identity politics. Um, and so I, I think the first thing I wanna say up front is that what the work that I'm doing isn't about recreating scripture or trying to put something onto scripture that isn't there. Uh, it's doing two things. It's one, naming the very particular context that I read scripture from, which is my experience as a white, queer, transgender man in the United States, right? Like, And I can't read scripture apart from that particularity because i that's the water that I swim in. That's my whole world. Um, and I think it's really important for all of us when we do this work to just name the context that we're coming from. Because what happens is when a bunch of people name their contexts and share how that impacts how they read scripture, we get a much fuller view of what scripture could and does mean. And that's a beautiful thing, right? Like that's not a problem, that's a good thing. Um, and then the second piece is to say that when I'm reading my scripture, when I'm reading my story with scripture, part of what I'm doing is saying, I'm reading a Bible passage and I'm saying, huh, something about this passage is making me reflect differently on my own life and on my own experience. It's giving me maybe a way to name something. It's, I'm seeing echoes of my own story. Uh, and 
And so that's part of it. And then the other part is to say, okay, these echoes that I'm seeing in my own story, how might they also help me to read scripture differently or in a more fuller way and have a better understanding of what this passage feels like, feels like in my body, feels like in the world, um, to get a fuller picture of, of how we might encounter God in, in all of these texts. Um, and so it's, it's, a, it's a practice that is deeply grounded in scholarship. It's deeply grounded in uh, a faithful reading of the text, and it's also deeply personal. Mm. Yeah. And one of the things that I, I loved going through your book and just going through like in, in learning someone's stories do this all the time, but they just bust all of the stereotypes that we might have of people. <laughs> and what, one of the things that I love is that your story does that so much because like you write so openly, not, not just about your, your journey as well in transitioning, but also, and um, you write about celibacy as well. And like wrestling with that and loneliness and signalness as well. Would you mind just talking a little bit about that because there's all of the, and you, again, you talk about this in the book too, but there's all of these, well, what about, have you thought about all of, all of this stuff? And you write very openly and honestly, of like, I have, I've probably thought about things that you haven't thought about <laughs> as well. So you can just talk about that in wrestling with all of those things. I know that's a big question, but yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so funny because often when people um, who don't agree with LGBTQ folks um, come at us often online, right? It, it's less so when we have personal relationships with folks, but you know, the the gotcha folks on Facebook who are like, you know, just gum, come into comments and drop a Bible passage. And it's like, do you think after all of my existence that I haven't read that passage? Like, I promise you. Not only have I read it, I've probably done significantly more work on it than you. Um, so I, I appreciate this question because I think it is so true that there, there's this idea that like if I just read Romans one more time, I'd somehow, I don't know, be straight. And it's like, okay, it just doesn't, <laughs> doesn't work like that. Um, you know, I went on a long journey of trying to, to figure out what it looked like to uh, both live into my fullness as a human and also live into my fullness as a faithful Christian. Um, and so, you know, I, and I really grappled with, especially in the beginning of coming out, you know, I, I had two kind of coming out moments. I came out first as gay because I didn't have any language around gender or gender identity. You know, again, grew up in a rural community. This was like before Google, really existed, you you couldn't Google anything. So <laughs> information was really limited. Um, and so the best language I could find was 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 around sexuality and, and to come out as gay. And I really grappled with like, okay, well, you know, what does it mean to be a gay Christian? And um and I I first grappled with, you know, can I make this go away? Can I make these attractions, this these desires, this um intrinsic intrinsicness of who I was like can I make it go away and the answer to that was no and then it was like okay well you know then the only way for me to be faithful is to be celibate forever um and try that for a while and was like I really it and it wasn't that like I I didn't want to be celibate right it was like I don't actually think that this is what God is asking of me um and 
And so I ended up in a relationship uh, and then later on I transitioned. And as part of my transition, I actually considered celibacy again, but this time not as a practice that was required of me, but as one that I was exploring feeling called to and feeling like, what would it look like to um, be celibate? Not because I was ashamed of my sexuality, not because I felt like God was going to smite me if I wasn't, but as a practice of, as a spiritual practice and as a practice of hospitality. Um, and that was a really powerful experience. And I learned a lot from that. Um, and then I also realized that that like didn't have to be permanent, right? That I, I learned a lot from that, that period of celibacy. And then uh, I got married again. And, and I've learned something from all of those different journeys. Um, and for me, so much of, of that journey has been about unpacking like what is it that I'm called to? How is it that I can honor God with my body? And sometimes in that, it's like, where are the messages that are just voices of shame and control that are coming from other people that have nothing to do with God or Christianity? Um, and where do I need to set those voices aside? Yeah, can you talk to me? about that, like maybe that, I mean, I guess both periods of celibacy, but you mentioned hospitality as well as one of the things that you learned in that. Can you talk about like what you learned specifically about hospitality and anything else that just really stood out to you during that? Yeah. You know, I, I, what I noticed, um, so caveats, I'm a huge introvert. Um, I take a long time to recover from, (laughs) human interaction Uh, as an introvert I can relate yes yeah yeah and I'm also like an anxious person right and so what I was finding is that um I was feeling at that point I was I was feeling a call to church planting I was also working a job in a church um and I was noticing that like in order to have enough energy to do the church work, in order to really show up for people uh, in the way that I wanted to show up for them, I needed a whole lot of time alone to recover and to have, you know, my own spiritual practices and my my alone time. Um, and so part of it was just a practical thing of if I'm going to show up fully for this ministry, I need I need like all of my evenings at home. But, you know, the other thing that I noticed in that when I took um, dating off the table, it allowed me to just show up in a different way because I was never asking the question, am I interested in this person? Are they interested in me? Um, Do I have to impress them? Right. Like all of that anxiety about those interactions went away. And I was just like, well, I'm just here with this person. And this relationship is going to grow organically. And we're and I'm just going to show up in a different way. Um, And it was a really powerful. It was a powerful lesson for me about what it looks like to show up that I now try to practice, even though I'm not celibate anymore of like, how do I show up fully in this space? How do I worry less about how someone might be perceiving me or the power dynamics and instead just like be there with another person and be in relationship with them? Um, and those are those are lessons that I, I'm really grateful for. And then I'm not sure that I would have learned had I not had this really intentional time to say, 
um, you know, I'm I'm not going to date in this season. I, I think the other piece that I, I really learned is that, um, you know, it was a time for me to really heal and to pay attention to my own spiritual growth, to do some, um, you know, therapy work and to and to and to come out of that with a sense with a stronger sense of this is what it means for me to be human and whole this is what it means for me to be in relationship with other people this is what my ministry is going to look like um and so just so many really powerful things came out of that time Mm, yeah can you talk to me a little bit more about that healing and like i mean you mentioned therapy and like counseling and stuff can you talk to me a little bit more about like some of the things that helped you like in that in that road to healing. And I mean, and you, you covered in the book too, of just going through like lots of, lots of hurt and needing to heal through that. Yeah. You know, I had, I had come, um, this, this period of time was right after seminary. I had gotten a divorce. Um, I had moved across the country. I was trying to find my footing in a new place. And so a lot of this time was, was simply, I, part of it was just resting, right. Being able to like, sleep at night and um, read books again and make sense of what I had experienced in my previous relationship, but also in seminary. Um, Some of it was about, you know, figuring out what my ministry was going to look like now post-seminary. And so, you know, a lot of that time was about being really intentional about resting, about um, investing in in friendships and um, and being really intentional about those friendships. It was about, I journaled a lot during those times. That's always been a huge spiritual practice for me. Um, it was also about finding my own rhythms. Like what is what does my life look like now in this new place amongst these new people? Um, and just doing that work and being intentional about it was really was really healing and, and powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another thing that I've that I've heard you reference a, just a couple of times in that is um is learning how to be human as well yeah. too. Can you talk a little bit more about that and like maybe some of the different aspects that you've learned in terms of um just our our humanity and what's helped you in that? Yeah, I mean, I think I I think growing up uh, in the evangelical church, there were all of these parameters about you know what a good Christian was, quote unquote, um, and it was often in those spaces about like denying your body, denying your desires, um, putting everyone else ahead of you um, and not in a like servant hearted way. It was a, you don't matter. Everyone else does. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Constantly being in this, this space of you're doing everything wrong um, you're lucky that God will look at you at all. And it's only because of Jesus, right? Like all of these things. Um, and so, so much of my journey in the beginning of, of leaving that world was about unpacking, like, what does it mean to operate from a place of goodness instead of brokenness? What does it mean to, um, to even pay attention to my body? Like, what does that look like? Yeah. How does that feel? Um, what does it look like to even desire something and not even sexual desire, but like anything? Like mm-hmm. what what does it look like to want? Um, and and so much of that was also about like reconnecting with the fact that Jesus was human, right? And and connecting with Jesus's humanity. And I, I think a lot about that verse where Jesus talks about like I came so that they will have abundant life. And this idea growing up was like, 
yeah, you'll get that in heaven. And now it doesn't matter. It's like, I don't, I don't think that that's what that verse is about. I think that that's about like here now. And that if we're not able to access or live into that abundance, something is wrong. And that that's not like a financial or a wealth abundance, but an abundance of love an abundance of peace and abundance of joy. Um, And so, so a lot of this was about tuning into like, what are the things that make me feel joy? What does that, what does that feel like in my body? How does that, how does that shift how I am around other people? Um, And what I found in that, like becoming more fully human and in touch with my own humanity also then helped me be more integrated with my spirituality and helped me be more integrated with my community in a way that I could never do when it was like, you don't matter, everyone else does. Um, there was there was always a disconnect there that I could never overcome. Uh, and this allowed me to kind of reorient and be much more healthy in myself, but also in my relationships. Yeah, and even as you were talking, it made me think of, um, you know, as you were saying, like there's this tendency to think of, things will be good whenever it's heaven. But so much of Jesus's ministry and his teaching was bringing the kingdom of God from heaven to earth. And that's part like, and that's part of our, our, um, I don't know. I don't know if responsibility is the right word, but, uh, but as followers of Jesus, we should be bringing the kingdom of God, wherever, wherever we go as well. Um, I want to ask you about, you know, unpacking that, that fundamentalism that you were talking about, because, probably like if, if you grew up in church, whether it be intentionally or unintentionally, there's probably some harmful beliefs that we, we picked up on ourselves or we told or we interpreted and all of that stuff. Um, what has helped you kind of like work through that process of, um, of, yeah, just working through that process. Yeah. Lots of things. Um, you know, I, I think journaling was a huge part of that for me. Um, I, I think two, two big practices that were really helpful for me. Um, one is the willingness to examine everything. Um, you know, in my church growing up, there was questions were frowned upon, right? And it was, we were really supposed to be careful about what books we read and which speakers we listened to and all of these things. And I remember thinking um, at one point, someone questioned why I was reading a certain book. And I thought like, man, if my faith can be shaken by reading this book, like, then I think something's wrong with my faith, not with the book, right? Like, I think that that's the, I think we've got the the balance wrong. Um, and so for me, part of it was being willing to say, I have a lot of questions and I'm going to be open with my questions and I'm going to believe that God is big enough to handle my questions. And so I'm going to go on this journey uh, and I'm going to look for the answers. And part of that looking for the answers was being willing to say, I will examine everything that I've been taught. It's okay for me to examine everything I've been taught. Um, And what I found when I did that is so many of the things that I had been taught were the one right way to believe were actually not how the church had believed for centuries and centuries and centuries, right? There were these new ideas. um, And I had never been taught about how the history of how we came to these theologies. I had never been taught that there were other ways to understand things like heaven and hell and Jesus's death and atonement, right? Like, I had always only been taught this is the only way and this is the way that everyone has always believed. And so when I went through that process, you know, I, 
I think the other piece that helped, I, I'm a voracious reader, so I read a ton um, and really like from all sides and all perspectives and really wrestled. I think the other piece that was really important is I let myself feel whatever emotions were coming up for me in this process. Um, you know, I let myself feel angry at the fact that I hadn't been told all of these histories, that all of these books and ideas had been kept for me. I let myself feel grief over the lack of certainty uh, I let myself feel scared over the way that things were changing and shifting. I let myself grieve the the relationships that I felt like I could no longer have or, you know, the people who kicked me out of relationship with them, um, the community that I lost, like all of that. And I think so often we rush, we try to rush this part and it's like, well, I'm just I'm I'm just going to jump from one thing to the other and I'm not going to feel any of the hard feelings. And I think mm. I think we have to feel the hard feelings. I think we have to give ourselves time to figure things out um that we don't have to come up with new answers overnight. I I remember really distinctly there was one period where I was trying to like figure out what it is I believed on all of these different things and I I was sitting in my apartment alone and I was like well, I'm just going to like think my way into the answer right like I'm gonna I'm gonna think my way into what I believe about xyz now and I was like just exhausted and just depressed and like I couldn't get there and I finally had to be like you know what I'm just gonna allow myself to say I don't know right now I don't know what I believe and that's okay I'm not gonna think my way into it right this second I, I can't unpack you know 23 years of learning overnight it's gonna take time and when I took that pressure off then I was able to kind of live into a new way of believing and being um, that was grounded in this new scholarship that I was reading that I hadn't been exposed to before um, and that but giving myself the time uh, allowed me I think to be healthy in in doing this what I would call like deconstruction and then reconstruction work because it was very much a, a both and process for me yeah. right I, I did not leave the faith I stayed in it and I my faith is significantly stronger than it ever was when I was a kid um, and I think it's because I did this whole process and I gave myself time to do it hmm. yeah talk about that a little bit and I mean that's that's what you talk about towards the end of the book as well of um, like I imagine that some days with with a lot of people in faith it might go wow it might be easier to leave. It might be easier to leave Jesus, but talk to me about why you stay. Why is the reason why you stay while you're still a Jesus follower? Yeah, I, I think there are two reasons. One is um, this very real sense that I grew up in this faith. Um, I'm surrounded by it. It's the water I swim in. I, I can't help but speak in biblical metaphors, right? Like it, it just comes yeah. out. Um, and so that's part of it. But the the deeper and I, I think more true part is that there is something for me so compelling in this Jesus story um, that I just find even more compelling the deeper I go into it. This, mm. this, you know, this man who was born to an unwed teenage mother in an occupied land who followed his calling to talk about what it means to center the most marginalized, to be 
attendant to and do the work of bringing about the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven, who calls us continually both toward more fullness of our humanity, but also towards the work of justice. Um, That's so compelling to me. I, I find that it's convicting to me that I, I feel called to be a part of this work um, and that this story is ancient story that still feels so, so relevant to me today. Like it's a story that I find myself in, that I keep finding myself in, that gives meaning to my life and that also helps me to think about how I should be in this complicated world, who I should be centering, um, what work I should be involved in. And and I think that that's just such a powerful and important story. And I, I, I'm like, I just want to keep going deeper into it um, and inviting others into it as well. You mentioned that you are a voracious reader. I would be curious to hear what's a, what's a good book or two recommendation that you have and what's uh, something that's impacted you from it recently. Um, you're going to have to narrow that down. What topic do you, do you want a good book recommendation? Oh my on? goodness. I'm... We could be here all day. Um, uh, man, I, first of all, let me just say, I love that you're like, let me narrow it down because you read so much. Cause I am the exact, like I read, I probably read a half dozen books at a time. Um, we'll say, uh, how about something, uh, spiritual growth wise, and then maybe just something for fun. Okay. Um, You know, the book that I'm obsessed with that I recommend to everyone who is wanting to kind of figure out maybe a new or a different way to read the Bible. um, They're feeling like, I don't know, I I grew up in evangelicalism. I feel like there's more to it, um, but I also am not an academic and I don't want to read a commentary. Um, and that's Rob Bell's What is the Bible? Oh. I feel like it's such a great primer. Um, and he's just like such a great communicator. So oh. I really loved that book. Um, I also, on the spiritual growth front, um, Cole Arthur Riley's This Here Flesh is just a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, Cole is the, runs the Black Liturgy's uh, Instagram account, which is hugely popular, but this book is, is um, really fantastic. And then what am I reading for fun? Um, I, of course you asked this question. I'm like, what, what have I read? (laughs) Um, You know, I read a lot of uh, young adult fiction and TJ Klune's books are just really delightful um, LGBTQ young adult novels um and and he has so he has some adult novels but his young adult stuff is is really really great um the house and on the cerulean sea is one that i read recently that was just a really lovely book Mm. uh thank you for those thank you i'm gonna have to check i've read the rob bell book and it is very good and i'm gonna have to check out the other ones um one quote that you have in the book is that you say more than that, LGBTQ plus people, especially transgender people, have something vital to teach the church and the world if only the world would listen. And I would just love to ask you to just, and again, this is another big question, but just as this this <laughs> stuff comes to mind, I would just love to hear what are some of the things um, that we can learn? Yeah, you know, I think often folks will come to 
um, theology written by marginalized folks, whether that's Black theology, womanist theology, liberation theology, queer theology, trans theology, um, and really think like, what I'll get out of this if I'm not that identity is I'll just get empathy for those people. Um, but I don't have anything to learn from them about my own self or the, or the way that I um, engage with spirituality. And I think that that's not true, right? I, th I think that trans folks in particular, you know, we have such unique relationships with our bodies. And so when we're reading scripture and we're talking about um, the ways that bodies show up in scripture, obviously we are going to notice things that people who haven't had that type of relationship with their bodies aren't going to see. Um, and so that's one thing. I, I think the other thing, you know, trans folks, we understand, you know, liminal spaces, the breaking of binaries, the in-between spaces um, in ways that I think and the ways that we talk about that, I think, can open up something as we think about all of the liminal spaces in scripture and in the life of Jesus and God. You know, I, I think about like the power of the three days that Jesus spent in the tomb and that liminal space, right, that was there. This idea that you talked about earlier of like the kingdom of God, which is both this thing that we are expecting and also this thing that we've been told is present among us. So what does it mean to live in a space that is both here and coming and not yet and on its way, right? Like all of that. Um, and I think that the ways that trans folks read and talk about these types of spaces can help us to unpack some of that in really beautiful ways. Um, and I think that what I'm I what I'm hoping that this book does isn't just like I hope that it gives you more empathy for trans folks and more understanding yeah. of trans identity of course but I also hope it it invites you to reflect on your own experience and history with your body with scripture with these texts and stories um with you know how you come to scripture to read um with your own isolation and alienation, right? Like all of these different things that because I'm speaking so particularly of my own experience, I think that it it provides windows and ways in for other people uh, who have not the same experience, but who have similar experiences mm -hmm. or um, or this can provide words for experiences that they've had. I love that so much because just what you were talking about is exactly what I was thinking as you were talking of like, we all have a body and we have a relationship with our body and just what you're saying is different, same with liminal spaces, different experiences, but we can learn from each other in that, even through our differences. Mm, I love that. so and much. I, and I think that there's something so, so powerful. You know, when I have read black theologians and womenist theologians and liberation theologians, I, what I think is so powerful is that I learned so much about how I'm approaching scripture, the the spaces that I might not see because I don't have that same experience. Mm. Um, and, and when we put all of these different theologies side by side, what we're, we're not getting like a, I don't know, it's this theology versus, versus this theology. We're, we're getting this idea of a prism, right? It's all of these different things put together that are giving us a fuller picture of who God is 
and what it means to be in relationship with one another. And I think that that's just such a powerful lesson. Um, and I think that it's so important, especially for folks that are not from those communities, to be learning from those communities, because we can't get a full picture of God unless we have all of these different perspectives um, working together and, and illuminating these texts together. And I think, honestly, like that is how scripture was formed, right? It's all of these communities that were trying to make sense of their relationship with one another, with the divine, with what it meant to be in the world. Um, and that we have this collection of texts that is their reckoning with that. And that now we too are reckoning with their reckoning and it's, we're continuing that same work. Yeah. Uh, a couple of things that you talk about that I want to ask you about is you ask like two very profound questions, which have still got me thinking. I want to, I want to dive into one and then we'll talk about the other is that you ask, what does it cost us to honor another person's experience and identity. And there's a couple of things I wanted to ask you. The first thing is this is I know that you you've had to like engage with people who disagree with you. And so what have you learned? And then, you know, obviously it could be about your, your sexuality as well. It could be just about any various beliefs as well. What have you learned about how to like honor or maintain the humanity in the person that you're talking with, even though you disagree with them? Yeah, you know, I, I I think it's that's such an interesting question because um, I don't find in myself mm -hmm. when someone disagrees with me that I discount their humanity, um, but I do often find that they're discounting mine. Mm -hmm. um, which is to say that, like, I I can I can very much um, look at someone's beliefs and separate that from who they are as a person. Right. Like I can say, I do not agree with you on that, but I still think that you should be alive and thriving and yeah. have health care and food and all of those things. Um, I don't all not always. Right. Is that kind of courtesy and humanization returned? And I think that that's what's so important when we're talking about how we stay in relationship with people who disagree with us. We also have to acknowledge power differentials and who has the power to like unalive someone else or to legislate them out of existence or to make their lives miserable. Um, and so it, it becomes this thing of like, why can't we all just agree to disagree? It's like, I don't know, we could, except that, you know, you just tried to take away my health care. So like now, now we're not in a place where we're just disagreeing on something. Like you are actively mm -hmm. trying to harm my community. Um, and so I think it's important to really name that. For me, it, it's, um, you know, I grew up in a rural community. I live in a rural community now. I feel like I have a deep understanding of the anxieties um, that that people are facing and feeling in a rapidly changing world. Um, and so what I hope for, right, is that, that they will approach my life and my existence and my community with the same amount of curiosity mm. um, and empathy which with, with which I'm trying to approach theirs, right? And I think that if we could do that, uh, we would get somewhere, right? That, that, if we could really hear each other, that that, that might start to shift things. Um, and then it becomes less about like, oh, I, I disagree with you on X, Y, Z, like thought. And, yeah. and it becomes, I want to be in relationship with you. So what is it? What do you need 
um, for us to be in relationship with one another. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that work too for, for marginalized folks is to say, sometimes we have to set boundaries with people. And it's like, mm -hmm. no, I'm not gonna answer that question. Or no, I can't, I can no longer be in relationship with you. Um, because you violated my boundaries and, oh. and for my own safety and health, I, I have to, I have to set up a boundary. Um, and I think that that's, that is wholly an important work too. Um, and that that doesn't mean that you can't take critique, right? It doesn't yep. mean that you yep. can't argue with someone. It just means that like, um, you know, I can, I can tell really quickly when someone's arguing in good faith and when they're not um, and, and setting boundaries is, is okay. Yeah. Have you seen any good examples in your life of just people who would, who would you say, yep, they disagree with me, but you know what? They love me. So here again, is like a yes. And, yeah. um, right. Like I fully believe that there are people in my life who, um, would say they love me and, and at some level do. And also there is this element of if someone can't fully see me, is is it possible for them to love me? Um, and I'm not sure that that's true, right? Like I think if I think if I were to be in a relationship with someone um, and I, you know, never pronounced their name right and didn't know anything about the things that they loved and made fun of their hobbies like is that is that actually love <laughs> like i i would say that that person would be like no like you don't actually love me because you don't know me um and so i i think it's possible for me i i think it's possible for people to be kind to me and not fully love me um and i and i so i really struggle with that right because yeah. i i think I think there are folks who want to say, you know, I love my kid, but I can't use the right, I can't use the name that they use. Yeah. And I'm like, then you're not loving your kid, right? And and your kid now has every right to set boundaries and say, I cannot have you in my life anymore because you won't honor who I am. Um, and I think that what love requires of us, it, it doesn't require us to just like, it's not an anything goes, right? Yeah which I think is sometimes the critique of like, well, you're just saying that love means that anything goes. And that's not true. But it does say that like to actually be in a relationship, we have to be able um, to see one another. And that if you really can't get on board with your kid's pronouns or name, um, like I, I think that that work is on you to do to figure out oh, yeah. like, what it looks like um, to fully respect them and love them um, and that not respecting them or not using their name and pronouns mm -hmm. is not actually loving them. Um, and th th that doesn't mean that anything goes, but it does mean yeah. that like you got to do your work. Yeah. And it's even like, it's creating that reaction in you, which is like, which would be my problem or your problem because it's, it's your reaction to it. Does that make sense? I think so. Yeah. Think so. Like if, if you do, if you do, if you're just living your life and that creates a reaction in me, that's my problem yes. to deal yeah. with. That's not your problem to deal with yeah. and, and do the work just as you were saying and getting curious about that. Uh, the other question that you mentioned is uh, uh, you say, what does our lack of honoring, uh, honoring others cost? And I would just love for you to talk just about that and what it has cost. And you've talked a little bit about it um, with, with healthcare 
as well of like, that is a decision that that does have a cost. And I would love for you just to talk a little bit more about that. And just some of the things that, that we just don't think about that it might be costing. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a really um, sobering statistic, which is that, um, you know, the suicide rates amongst trans young people and trans adults too are staggering. Um, over 50% of trans men at some point in their lives will attempt suicide. Um, it's it's slightly under that for trans women. And often what folks will say is like, well, trans people are depressed because they're trans. It's like, no, they're depressed because they're living in a world that is trying to eradicate them. But the statistic that I think is so fascinating is that a trans young person's rate of suicidality drops by 40% if they have one supportive adult in their life. Hmm. I mean, that's a staggering drop, right? One supportive adult who will use their name, use their pronouns, support them. So when I think about like, what does it cost us? It's that, right? Kids are dying because adults can't get it together to be supportive. Um, And so you know, part of my work is like, how can we equip adults to be that one supportive adult in a kid's life? But also like, I don't know. I I think, I think to, for adults, like, would you rather have your kid alive or dead? Like that to me, that is the question. Um, And so to have so many adults who are just unwilling to do their own work and to grapple with these things, I I think is really heartbreaking. But I also think, you know, on an institutional level, when we think about our churches, like what gifts are we missing out on when we are not creating welcoming spaces for trans and gender nonconforming people in our churches, when we are not um, supporting their leadership, when we're not listening to them, like we're the church is missing out on so many gifts, and in a time when the church desperately needs new ways to think about being and belonging and survival, like the fact that we're excluding anyone is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but especially trans folks who have such gifts of building community, of reaching out to folks who are marginalized, um, and I, I I think it's costing us a lot to not fully embrace. Uh, people and and support them and make sure that they can survive and thrive. Yeah. Another thing that you talk about, which is, again, I, I said this earlier, but I absolutely love you just bu- busting all of our, our stereotypes and going like, <laughs> I know that you're going to put, you're going to try to put this in the category and I'm going to bust your category. And you do that. Uh, and when you say this quote, you say, when we talk about gender, people often think we're only talking about queer and trans folks or women's issues. They don't see the larger picture of how all of us are caught up in a system of gender that is literally killing us. And then you go on and talk about like, what are, what are gender stereotypes as well? Like men always do this. Women always do that. Can you just talk about like that larger picture of gender that, you know, just doesn't tend to get talked about very much, or we just don't think about very much as it pertains to this. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I always do when I'm doing Trans 101 um, seminars or workshops is to talk about how, like, all of us have a sexual orientation. <laughs> all of us have a gender identity. This isn't just gay people, right? Like, yeah. we all have 
a sexual a sexual orientation and a gender identity and uh and that impacts how we move through the world uh how people perceive us how we perceive ourselves often and this idea that when we talk about inclusion for trans folks that it's just about helping trans folks is is wild to me because it's like no what we're trying to do is is really talk about like how can we help people live into the fullness of their humanity i am not someone uh, and other trans people feel differently speaking for mm -hmm. myself i am not someone who's like we gender doesn't matter and we need to abolish gender in the world i'm not interested in that thing i am interested in what does it look like to make it so that someone can move through the world in a way that feels the most natural to them um, and not get shit for it, right? Like mm -hmm. I, the amount of men who feel like they can't ever be sensitive or quiet or cry, the amount of women who feel like they have to do all of the domestic labor because their husband's never learned how to use a washing machine right like the 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 doctors who constantly disregard women's pain and the men who won't go to the doctor because it's somehow not manly like this these things are literally killing us yeah. and it's not about trans people like this is this is non-trans people doing this yeah. to themselves yeah and so it's like if we could come up with better and different ways to understand gender and our bodies and and how we interact with one another it's actually going to be healthier for everyone um and this isn't about some like again gender yeah. anarchy world where men don't exist anymore it's about yeah. like no what does it look like for us to be healthy humans and relate to one another better um and i and i think it's this is again one of the uh, trans people have a unique insight into this because of the world that we lived in and what we've gone through. And this also is a gift that we can give back to people who aren't trans, right? Well, we can, we, so many people can't even see the water that they're swimming in, in regards to gender. Um, and why would they? But trans folks can come in and be like, do, do you see the water here? Like, yeah. we, this is not good for you. Um, and obviously, if we if we do this work, it's going to be better for trans people too, but it's going to be better for everyone. Mm, yeah. I love that. One of the, one of the questions that you talk about that one of the practices, which is a question that you talk about a lot is whenever you enter a new space, you ask, who is this space not for, which I think is a very powerful question to ask. What helps you think through that question or even just figure out, Oh, this is who is welcome here. This is not who's welcome here. Yeah, you know, I, I started asking this question when I was probably in junior high. Um, I remember like sitting in my evangelical church and uh, there was probably, it was probably a sermon about how we needed to go witness to people um, or how more people needed to get saved or something. And I remember like looking around the church and being like, well, that's great and all, but I don't, none of those people are here. <laughs> like we're all here and we're like, what are what are we what are we doing here that's an invitation to folks who don't believe in this to come and feel like they can be welcome um and i think that that practice then has has continued in my life and it's often you know it's sitting in spaces and saying 
if I didn't know anything about this, um, what about this would feel really weird to me, right? Like, I, I was thinking, and this is not just church, right? I was thinking yeah. about, I went to a Broadway show and this idea that like you, um, you know, you turn off your phone or you don't, you clap or you don't clap after every song, right? The, all of these, mm. these things that everyone who does this all the time takes for granted that we all know. You dress up and you go to the theater and you turn off your phone and then you do this and you do this and you do this. I'm like, okay, but what if someone didn't know that and they came in and they clapped at the wrong time or they were wearing scuffy sneakers? Someone would be weird to them. Um, and I think in our churches too, you know, we'll often have, we say the Lord's Prayer. Great. What if someone has never said the Lord's Prayer before? Now all of a sudden people are mumbling around them and they have no idea what's happening. Now we have said, this place is not for you. You're not welcome here. Um, and so it's everything about like from our buildings, you know, all of our old church buildings that have steps and no ramps and no elevators, we have made the statement that if you can't walk up the steps, you are not welcome here. Um, and, I, and I think that, that practice of paying attention to things that could be barriers helps me to think through, okay, what are what are the things that I that we could do to lower some of the barriers. And I think that this is another space where it's so important to listen to other people, right? I would never have even paid attention to the width of aisles had I not listened to disability activists who are like, yeah, it's great that you have a ramp, but I still can't use my wheelchair in your sanctuary space. There's nowhere for me to sit. I can't get down the aisle. Um, when you do communion and you have everyone come up the steps, I can't do that. And so, so it's paying attention to those things uh, and then working to address them. And that's everything from structural, architectural, to weird things that we do in our services, to what questions do we assume that everyone knows the answer to, to what questions do we not allow people to ask, right? I think all of that is really important um, and that many of our churches need to be having conversations about where are the barriers to entry um, and what might what might what what might we do to lower them but also you know what will it cost us if we don't i think there are a lot of churches that would rather die than change any of their rituals um and that's a problem um and and i think that what we're going to see is we're going to see a lot of churches dying because they're not paying attention to to a changing world and to what it means to, to be in community. Mm. I have a quick question. Do you have a hard stop at the top of the hour? Okay, no. cool. I just have a couple other questions. And if you did, I was going to prioritize them in my head. Yeah, yeah. no, uh, we got that. Okay, sweet. Okay. So I, I always love asking people this question. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure that we cover in the book or just anything that you're just thinking about in general? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, I just want to say that, you know, while this book is deeply personal, it's also deeply grounded in scholarship. And that that hybrid was really important to me. And it's it's something that I just want to name for folks that this isn't just a work of memoir, um, that it's also a work of, of deep scholarship, uh, but accessible scholarship. And mm -hmm. so I, I hope that people uh, enjoy diving, diving into that. Yeah. 
and I would concur very much so very it's a very easy and challenging read too um <laughs> I just love asking people from time to time what do you what are you currently learning or what's something that you're thinking about right now that is currently um I'm challenging you you are getting you to think this this is a really I'll give a silly one and then a more serious one um, yeah. we my wife and I just moved uh and so part of what I'm like experiencing is the unpacking process and and I have a lot of books uh and and so part of what I'm learning is like how to let go of things which is both you know both like a silly purging because we're moving um but also a a a, I think a deeper spiritual practice of like what does it look like to let go of things what do I need to hold on to um how do I want my space set up and and what actually what kind of space actually gives me the best, you know, chance at practices and routines that are, are healthy and nurturing. Um, so that's one thing. And then, you know, we, we have, my wife and I have spent the last 10 years in Minneapolis. Now we've moved back to a rural community. Um, and I'm just learning that rhythm. It's a different rhythm than the city. And uh, it's a different way of relating and being in community. And so I'm, I'm learning about I'm learning about my new neighbors and about our new community um, and what it will look like to do, to do work there and, and to be in community there too. Yeah. It is a very different transition from the, from rural to city or from city to rural, because unless you go through it, it is like you were saying, it's vastly different. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it's so, but it's so, I'm loving it. Yeah. Right? Um, and I, like I said, I grew up in a rural community, so it's not like, I, I'm not, it's not completely foreign, but it's, you know, things just, they move a little slower. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just a different uh, pace of things. And also there's just a sense, there is a, there is something required of me um, that was never required of me in the city, right? Mm-hmm. Like I have to show up in in a different way, which is sometimes challenging as an introvert. And also, um, I think that's something that's really good for me as someone who tries to be really independent. I think uh, being required to show up and be in community um, and get out of my head and into space with other people is really good for me. Mm, yeah. Hey, the last thing I wanted to ask you about is is so much throughout this. You have talked about um, our our own humanity as well. And, um, and that we all have the, we do all have that in common. And I like to think about, about as like, I think about as the image of God, like we are all made in the image of God as well. And I would just love to ask you, what are some of the things that you have learned that have helped encourage other people to see their own humanity or to see the image of God in themselves? Like, what are some of the things, the practices, the, the things that you do to help encourage seeing that in other people? Because it's, it's difficult to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the biggest practice for me has been listening deeply to people's stories. Um, And that's both like in a one-on-one human to human kind of way, but it's also seeking out art and books and memoirs by people who are really different from me and spending time with those and really listening to and honoring those stories and the telling of those stories. Um, I think that that helps me, it helps me learn empathy. It helps me realize my own 
short-sightedness and shortcomings. Um, it helps me know how better to be in solidarity with people who need me to be in solidarity with them. Um, it helps me to better step back and know when my leadership is not required and when the best thing I can do is help set up the chairs for the meeting or put out the snacks and get out of the way. Um, and I think that, you know, that I, I'm just, I'm so passionate about storytelling because I think that's the thing that actually allows us to see one another. Mm. Um, but we have to be really invested in listening and and hold people's stories with honesty and with care and with compassion. And sometimes we also have to interrogate you know, whose stories we're willing to listen to um, and whose we are quick to discount and and push back and into in ourselves that willingness to discount um, and instead approach that with curiosity and, and to look at like, okay, why why will I only watch plays about this thing, um, you know, about trauma? from marginalized communities, for instance. Why can't, why why am I uncomfortable with a play about, or a movie about trans joy? Um, why, why is it when that person is angry, I feel like I can discount everything that they're saying, but when this person is polite, I, I feel inclined to listen to them. Um, and I think that the more stories we hear and the wider, variety of stories we hear, the more we can better interrogate our own sense of, oh, I, I'm I'm listening to that person and not this person because there's something still in me that hasn't, that I haven't dealt with, right? My own mm -hmm. insecurities, my own prejudice, my own whatever. Um, and so I think that like going deeply into stories and listening to them, as many of them as you can, with such care, such care and compassion is the game changer. Mm. I love that so much. Well, Shannon, I know that people are going to want to pick up your book in the margins, a transgender man's journey with scripture and keep up with you. Where's the best place for people to go to do all those things? I am at Shannon T L Kearns. Kearns is K E A R N S on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. And, um, occasionally I show up on TikTok. I'm very bad at it. Um, but so if you, if you want to see me making bad TikToks, uh, you can come follow me over there, but no promises. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for the conversation and just thank you so much for doing the work and for sharing it with us. My pleasure. It was really great to be here. just so many things that come to my mind and so many things that I've taken away from this conversation. I so enjoyed this conversation so much. And, you know, I was just telling Shannon after we ended that I'm definitely gonna have to keep up uh, with him and uh, just get some of his book recommendations 
just because I, I always love meeting avid readers, as I mentioned in the podcast and everything. And, and everything that we uh, covered and all the things that he mentioned, those will be in the show notes as well. We actually had Rob Bell on the podcast a couple of years ago, and so I'll link to that episode too. Now, here's some of the things that have uh, stood out to me from this conversation. I, I think of the role that the church is meant to play in the lives of people. And, you know, I say it so much um, on this podcast, but I truly believe that the church should be the place to where we can literally talk about everything and anything. And that we should be able to engage in those types of conversations. And we should be able to, um, to help people or be there for people when they're feelings are incredibly strong whenever they are going through incredibly emotional experiences and realizing that 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 is that is a very key role in the church to play and in my own work as well you know one of the things that uh fairly recently within the last few months that my uh that my counselor had said was that you know a couple of signs of dysfunction are that you don't talk or you pick up the messages that you can't talk and that you can't feel. And even just through listening to Shannon's experience of those are the messages that he picked up through it. Those are the messages that he picked up that it is not okay to talk about these things in here. It's not okay to ask questions in this. And I don't want you to, (laughs) you know, I don't want you to have those feelings or just ignore those feelings. But I think of the role of the church and we should be the place to where we can talk about those things. We should be the place to where people can feel what they're feeling and they can be seen and heard and loved. And sometimes that means helping them process and and work through their emotions as well. I think another big idea that I have just from Shannon is uh, just something that Jesus talks about so much. You know, so many of the things that we talked about, and this is absolutely what I love that he does in the book, is it's very easy for us to look at what someone else is doing or what they are going through and and judge them on that and go, well, I think you should be doing this or I think you could be doing this better or stop struggling with that or you're doing this wrong. And what just what came to my mind and that especially as we talked about so many things that we that we all share challenge uh, similar challenges as it pertains to our our body or going through uh, gender norms as well and maybe just finding ourselves not um, not fitting into that and liminal spaces and just realizing that those are things that we all deal with and what came to my mind is the scripture that Jesus talks about he says why do you look at the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye and ignore the log in your own eye. And Jesus actually continues and he says this, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And it's just this idea of what what we were literally talking about throughout the entire conversation about us doing our own work, of us dealing with the things that we have to deal with, and then 
Once we've done that, we will be in a position to care for and love the people who are closest to us or who are different than us. And I think the last thing that I just thought about was just what he talked about towards the end of encouraging the image of God in other people and how closely that is tied to listening to people's stories, bearing witness to their pain, and seeing them fully and learning how to love them as well. And that's just one of the things that we try to cover and talk about so much here on the podcast as well. So those are some of the things that I'm thinking about. I would love to hear from you and some of the things that you're thinking about from this episode as well. And the best way to reach out to me is learnerscornerpodcast at gmail.com. And yeah, I think that's all that I have for today. If you uh, haven't subscribed, subscribe to the podcast, you know, like it, rate it, you know, do all of those things as well that helps spread the word on the podcast. And that's all that I have for today. I do want to say thank you to Shannon for being on the podcast today and be sure to pick up his book in the margins a transgender man's journey with scripture very good very easy read and very thought-provoking as well thank you to sam massey for providing the music for this podcast thank you for listening all the way to the end of the episode my name is caleb mason and until next time keep learning and keep growing